for you. I'm really happy for you. Uh, people that don't eat sugar, why? And Terry Hatcher. Okay. I know that's random, Terry Hatcher. Here's the thing. She ruined my seventh grade year. Okay. Do we all know Terry Hatcher from Desperate Housewives and, or not? Is that, yeah, Desperate Housewives. Um, she's a reason Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, didn't get renewed for a fifth season. And so I took it really hard. And so I blame her. Some excuse of being pregnant. She didn't want to be Lois Lane, whatever. So that's just my short list. I'm sure we all have a list, but um, I do know a few people that I know are definitely going to get in, so I thought we'd also look at that too, so we can bring that up. Okay, Annie. Uh, next one, Sophie, Annabelle, Lenny, Zoe, Ty, Pup Pup, Duke, Bubblegum, Biscuit. Um, those are all dogs, uh, in case you didn't pick up on that. And so dogs do get into heaven. I think we can all rest assured. Also, my cat that got stolen in fourth grade did not make it because I don't know, I don't think cats make it. Um, But dogs, for sure. So that's one thing that I know for sure they get in. It's the rest of us I'm not so sure about. Because, you know, if there's no hope for me, you guys are totally screwed. So (laughs) there's that. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a difficult uh, topic. And so we're going to look at, um, I'm going to read the verse that we have for the day, which is John 10, verse 9. And so let's go ahead and read this. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. That's it. That's all I have to work with. And so my first freebie lesson is that if you're going to have tough theological questions or know more about God, don't just take one verse. Okay? So that's my first freebie lesson. It's very, very important to read what's um, before it, what's after it, maybe the parable, the story before it, story after. Go to different books of the Bible. Go to the Old Testament, the New Testament. um, Because you're going to get in trouble when you just look at one verse You're either going to be offended, um, you're going to get a bad view of God a lot, um, and you're just going to run to a lot of problems. So I would encourage you to keep looking at more. And so with that, I I need more to go off before I can dive into this subject. So I want to actually start at the beginning of chapter 10. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. So let me try to unpack this, or this is what I was learning this week as I was reading it. The first thing I notice is that Christ is always looking outside of who's not in. Because I see him talk about, you know, I gather my sheep and then he walks ahead of them. And so I have this mental picture of that Christ gets some people and then he says, I'm not done yet. So I'm going to keep walking outside. I'm not going to stay confined to this pen. I'm going to go out 
and see who's not in. And I'm going to talk to people that don't probably look like the people that are in here. So that's the first thing that I notice. And this was really, really hard for religious leaders at the time. Because we know that um, the religious leaders, the um, Jewish, you know, Pharisees and all those people, you know, they were like, well, we're the chosen ones. And it's about us. We're the ones that get in. And so then we have this Christ person, this person who um, says that he is the son of God, the awaited Messiah, and he's talking about going out and opening this gate. And that was really hard for them to understand. They got very angry about it. And then I look, if you, um, you remember, if you jump down to verse 16, I think Scott mentioned this either last week or the week before, that Christ says um, he has some sheep, but he also has sheep in a different flock. So already I'm like, okay, so he's got sheep everywhere, and they're in different flocks, and they're not everyone's right there. There's people over here, and there's people over there. And so it starts to challenge me of who's in and who's out. So already we, in this story, we see Christ really challenging the Jewish leaders to think about, okay, do you have the final word? Do you have the final say? Do you know who gets in? Because actually God the Father is the one who has the final word in the end. And so let's keep reading. So actually let's go back to the beginning. It talks about... Um, the, the beggars and, and all, the, or we're looking at the thieves and all the different things. But this gate, it's very big about the gate. When it talks about these thieves and robbers go over, they don't go through the gate. So at this time, um, gates were really huge. When you think about the stories of, of Christ when he would often heal people, when he would meet with people that were either lame or maybe had leprosy and different things, often they were right outside the city, if you can think about those stories, because they weren't allowed in. Because again, the Jewish leaders wanted to keep those people out. They didn't want to risk um, people that were unclean coming into the rest of the city and being around everyone else. So they built these high walls and the doors and the gates to, um, to the old city in Jerusalem, are they're ginormous. And many of you think, well, no, that was to keep the intruders out. And yes, but there's a lot of like, no, we need to keep those people out. Jewish leaders were usually confined into the city, often inside the temple. And again, you're faced with Christ who is going all around the countryside and meeting people by the sea and talking to people and um, that weren't talked to before and touching people and healing people and eating with people that did not look like the Jewish leaders, that did not look like the chosen ones. So again, the Jewish leaders had a really hard time because they couldn't understand how Christ could let anyone else in. And I think about in my own viewpoint of sometimes I'm like that too. So the thieves and robbers, that is the Jewish leaders, because they are not going over the, um, into the gate. They're climbing over the fence because they feel like they're owed something, that they deserve it, 
that because they are a leader and they've studied all the scriptures and they know everything, that yeah, I belong there. They don't take the time to go to the gate and actually believe and be changed. They're all about themselves. They don't really um, even acknowledge who Christ is. They look at it as a checklist. They think it's about them, and they realize that it's about Christ. So I know many are starting to think, okay, you're, you're talking about other sheep, you're talking about other groups, and that the people that kind of should get in don't get in. So wait, does everybody get in? I'm, I'm confused, and I, and I understand that this is kind of a hard message, Here's the thing. I believe that everybody gets a chance to get in. I believe everybody has the chance. But I know not everybody gets in. And I know that because of my belief of free will. And as Methodists, we believe in free will. We know that God first loves us and that there is this um, prevenient grace in us, but we don't have to respond to it. We do not have to say yes God doesn't force us to choose him. I mean, what kind of love is that if a God says, no, you have to pick me? That's not, that's not love. And so, yes, I don't believe everybody gets in. And I think Christ would also feel the same way. So remember when I said sometimes you have to look at different stories? I want to look at a different story that I think ties into this um, text in John. So we're actually going to flip to Luke 14. And many of you may know this story. It's the parable of the great feast. So let me read. It's um, chapter 14, verse 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and want to try them out. Please excuse me. One said, the next episode of Netflix started. I can't come. (laughs) Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. Okay, wives are not fun killers, okay? very offended by that verse. Let's keep going. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. So yeah, this is really connected, I feel like, to the John text. Because those that were invited, those that had a place at first, end up not coming. They don't get to come. Again, Jesus is really attacking the Jewish leaders that thought, oh, I'm good. I'm secure. And they missed out on something. And I think many of Christians are, are guilty of this too. We think, well, you know, I, I come to church regularly. I tithe regularly. 
and I serve at the annual big event, so I think I'm good. We check all the boxes, but again, what about the belief? What about the heart? How are you actually embodying Christ, or are you stuck behind the gate saying, oh, I'm good, I don't need to do anything, I don't need um, to believe, I don't need to actually follow what Christ tells us to do. I checked all the, the right boxes. So I've had a question, I've had a question myself, you know, um, do we sacrifice do we submit? Do we ask Christ for help in our unbelief? Do, do we pray? I mean, like, really pray. And I know this seems like, oh, Reagan, sounds like you're making a list again of all the check marks that I, that I need. And no, I'm not saying that. Because I know what we do is not what gets us into heaven. I know that Christ is one that makes us righteous. I know that it's Christ that saves us. But I also think we need to shift our view of what belief looks like, what embodying Christ really looks like. Because there's a lot of Christians who proclaim to be Christians that do not embody Christ at all. And so what if we started to move our concept of what it means to believe, what it means to follow Christ? And so my question is, Um, how do we believe in a wider scope of who Christ is? How do we believe in a wider scope of who who Christ is and live and who lives out the following and teaching of Christ without perhaps the right label? See, the, the story in Luke, what really frustrates me and what I see us doing a lot is the Jewish leaders read this and they got really mad because it was no longer an exclusive club that anyone could get in, and they did not like that. They built the gates, they built the walls because they wanted to keep certain people out. They didn't want people to infiltrate their, their safe group. So think about this, when you get invited to a party and you show up and there's actually a lot of people there, are you mad that's not a small group of important people? Or are you simply grateful you got an invite? Think about that. Are you mad that's not important people? Or are you simply just grateful you got an invite? So I have a question for you all. Are we standing in the sheep pen with the gate locked, fighting to keep certain people out because we have deemed them not worthy enough, not good enough, or not doing the right things? In fact, are we setting up a moat and not even drawing the bridge out? I wonder. Because I think if we have a problem with people that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't believe just like we do, then we may have a problem following Christ. Because Christ is always pushing out and doing new things and changing our preconceived beliefs and ideas. So like I said, I've really been challenged by this, and I know probably everyone in this room has had this question of who gets in and who gets out. What does it take? What do you actually have to believe? And I ran across a story about a year ago on PBS that really, really challenged me. So it's about this man. He and his wife have fostered um, children for 30 years, 
three decades, they have um, foster children, including um, they have their own child who, um, who's uh, pretty young as well when they started this. What makes them special is that the only children they foster are terminally ill children. That's it. That's the only kind that they foster. And so they know when they get a child that they have a limited time with this, a child. It's because usually these children are abandoned or they're taken away because their parents often are on drugs and cannot take care of them. They cannot take care of, the, of how um, much work it is. So these kids have all these medicine and machines and different things. I mean, it's constant care, 24 hours a day. And they've had 10 children die. They've watched 10 children die. And then in 2015, his wife dies. And he continues to care for these children. And then last fall, he gets colon cancer. And the doctor says, well, you need to come in. He goes, well, I can't, I can't come. Who's going to take care of these children? Because a father doesn't get a day off is what he says. A father doesn't get a day off. And the interviewer asked him, you know, why do you do this? And he said, well, who else do they have? They don't have anyone else. If I don't do it, what will happen? And he says, I'm not, a, I'm not a hero. I'm not a saint. I'm not an angel. I'm just doing what we're called to do. We should take care of people. And he says, a big part of why I do it is because of my faith. So this man, Mohammed Bazik, is a Muslim. And so when I think about him, whenever he goes... At the end, where does he go? And I have a really hard time thinking him doesn't get in, even though he embodied Christ more than all of us put together. That's really hard for me to say for sure. And I know I don't get to decide, and then none of us get to decide, and then it's only God. But I look at him and say, gosh, just because he didn't wear the right label, he doesn't get in? I don't know. I know I'm very thankful that he loves the children. He loves the most needy. And that when James talks about true religion is caring for widows and orphans, he absolutely lives it. Going back to the John text, it talks about how we can come and go. And so it teaches me two things. As a sheep, because we're all sheep. That one, that I hope that I'm always checking back in with the shepherd. That I don't get too far, that I don't get too preoccupied with different things. I forget what his voice sounds like, and I forget to deepen my relationship with him. Because what freedom it is to be able to come and go. And I know that I'm not going to ever find those good pastures unless I have a good relationship with the shepherd. But the second thing it teaches me 
thinking of all the different scripture, thinking of the story of Muhammad, is that I hope that every time I come back, I'm bringing more people with me. And that when I come back to the sheep pen, there's more people in there that don't look like me, that don't talk like me, that don't believe just like me, and maybe got there a different way than I did. And I hope that we would continue to dream that too. And yes, we do need to go tell people about Jesus Christ because that is what I believe and that's what I know. And I believe Jesus Christ can change your life. We don't get it out because it's not like, well, it doesn't really matter now. No, it still matters. Because there's a lot of people that don't have any sort of idea who Jesus Christ is. So as I close today, I hope that all of us, I hope all of us want that banquet to be full. The sheep pen to be bursting at the seams. And that it's full of people that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't believe just like us. And that absolutely no one, absolutely no one is left outside the gate. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Reagan, for a challenging but heartfelt message. Um, you got me choked up there for a second. I got to collect myself. Um, as we approach our time where we receive an offering here at, at Lover's Lane, um, I don't know if you're like me. This past week, I was reflecting a lot on the words and the life and I'll say ministry of um, Barbara Bush this past week. Um, 